the book show normally recorded at the david a Howe public library where we talk book news author news and literary news i'm eric mickles i'm nick gunning and this is an episode of all the books nights i like night episodes <laughs> there's a different energy yeah you're a little tired you're a little grumpy yeah we'll see what happens well, you could technically say we've been at work for about 12 hours at this point yes you could if you were a grumpy old lady like you <laughs> what you're the grumpy old man stop Ugh. all right let's get along let's get along okay say do name. you say tomato i actually say tomato let's call the whole thing ham fine what <laughs> Oh, it's kooky. All the books nights. We've got a lot to get into today. I'm mm. excited today because we have an interview with uh, Mr. Mel Gildon. Mel Gildon, the author of uh, many things. Uh, I know him primarily from his work with uh, 902.0 and Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Star Trek was uh, the first of his books that I read, and uh, I'm a fan. So we, we reached out to Mel to, to talk to him about his work, and he was uh, pleased to chat with us. So that's coming up a little bit later in the mm -hmm. episode. So hope you stick around for that. Uh, right now, let's get in the old bookmark, and this is going to be an expanded bookmark, Eric, because oh. a lot of stuff mm -hmm. was going on, because I think we lump in some movies in here. Okay. Let's talk movies first. Lump. Let's talk movies first. Lump them in. Uh, Eric and I were at the NYLA conference uh, this past week, so... Shout out to the New York Library... Association. Association. I really was impressed that you had it. But yes. Is that um, it? Yes. I, I want to thank our friends at the Southern Tier Library System because I was awarded a scholarship to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they covered that. So thanks to STLS. Yeah. Uh, Eric came along. Mm -hmm. uh, we saw we saw a lot of past employees mm -hmm. uh, of both the, the library system and our library in particular. So mm -hmm. nice to reconnect there. Um, we attended a lot of conferences. There was a trade show going on. Mm -hmm. This is just a time for librarians across the state to come together, exchange ideas, mm -hmm. um, and just kind of, you know, it's always nice to, it's nice to know that other people are, are doing similar things and sort of in the same uh, position that you are. So we were at the NYLA conference in Saratoga Springs, and the first night we got there, we checked in, we were all set, and we had some time to kill, so we went to see... Dr. Is, Sleep. Did we see Dr. Sleep night one? Yeah, we did. What a long week that was. I know it was. <laughs> uh, Dr. Sleep, of course, uh, adapted from the novel Dr. Sleep yeah. by Stephen King. Oh, that was a cold night. It was a very cold night. <laughs> It's all coming sequel, back yeah. Sequel to The Shining. So Eric and I differ uh, quite a bit on The Shining. Uh -huh. uh, you can go back into the All the Books archives at uh, uh, soundcloud.com slash all the books or wherever you get your podcasts and find <laughs> our book, our, our episode, Shining a Light on Stephen King, oh, Stephen yeah. King Spotlight, where we talk about The Shining and other things. But basically, in a nutshell, um, I'm a big fan of the book. Uh, I find the movie interesting, but I think it's a terrible adaptation of the book. Eric doesn't care for anything Shining related. That's true. Correct. I don't. Uh, I didn't like the book. Thought it was too long. Yeah. And I'm surprised that so early in his career, they're like, "No need for an editor. Don't hold this kid back." And uh, the whereas movie, I find the yeah. book rich and deep mm. and exploring a lot of interesting issues. And the, the movie. The movie, I guess, I understand on like an intellectual level okay. why it's hailed the way it is. Yeah. But. It is not for this guy over here. Understood. Myself. Understood. It's very uh, still frame. We uh, also, I mean, as we've discussed, we have a history of reading a Stephen King book every Halloween, and one year it was Doctor Sleep. Doctor Sleep. And I feel like you responded more to the Doctor Sleep book. It, <laughs> The Shining was part of like a group book club that yeah. we were that we were doing yeah. with a bunch of other people. But then, after a few rough patches, yeah. it kind of dissolved. And I then blame you... Ken Follett's Pillars of the Earth. Yeah. That kind of killed everyone in that Pillars of the Earth kind of killed it. And then yeah. you were like, 
well, let's read Doctor Sleep still. I'm like, how did this... I think yeah. I was sitting down, like, time to read this spooky book I found. You're yeah. like, let's do Doctor Sleep. I'm like, darn it! Yeah. Thank but, you, man. That was good friending. <laughs> but you like Doctor Sleep. I ended up liking Doctor Sleep the book yeah. more than I ended up liking the Shining book. Yeah. Because, and I talked about this with the Institute, uh, I, I felt like uh, Doctor Sleep was much more of like a superhero comic booky book mm-hmm. on it all. That's true. Uh, specifically whenever we're not dealing with Danny's alcoholism. Yes. Which was thankfully cut uh, mm-hmm. down to a... Uh, a manageable level yeah. in um in the movie, yeah. but in the uh in, yeah, anytime we were dealing with Abra and her like psychic powers, I'm like, oh okay. So the book basically follows a grown up Danny Torrance. The book end movie follows a grown up Danny Torrance, the kid from the original Shining, mm-hmm. and a parallel story with a girl named Abra who has similar Shining esque powers. Mm-hmm. And then the third, uh, the third uh, through line in that is the True Knot, which are basically vampires who feed on the Shining. The Shining. Yeah. Um, the book is the book is pretty good. Uh, it does need an editor. I'll mm-hmm. acknowledge that. Uh, the movie I feel like does a really nice job of condensing the things that you can live without. Yeah. Um, and I also, uh, without getting too much into it, the ending of the movie differs significantly from yeah. the book in a yeah. good way. I really think mm-hmm. the changes made to the ending of that were fairly good, yeah. and it kind of goes the extra mile of incorporating incorporating a lot of. Um, the original ending uh, of the Shining book, mm-hmm. which was thrown out for the movie, <laughs> right. into the the movie of Doctor right. Sleep. So that's very convoluted, I know, but I think you get a great performance from Ewan McGregor. Mm-hmm. It's spooky. I think Abra's mm-hmm. very well cast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the movie's a riot. I think it's very good. Did you say a riot? A ride. Oh, okay. I just <laughs> you said a riot. No, like, it was what? just one where I was just kind of like. Well, let's do this, you know. Okay. Did you like? You, you, I wouldn't use "ride" to describe it because okay. it's about two and a half hours long, and it's so the movie is v- connected to the Shining movie. Yeah. It's a sequel to the Shining movie that's using the book as its main source material, yeah. but it is still just like the Shining two, Stanley Kubrick's Shining two. Yes. Yeah. But the so Doctor Sleep the movie is a lot more um, as opposed to like a ride. It's a lot more like thoughtful uh not meandering but like the scenes take their time Mm -hmm. no nothing's rushing through it even though it's um a lot is going on so it's it it i think it delves more into um i don't know it's more of a character piece than you might be expecting yeah i i don't i didn't find it too spooky i i guess i just found it as kind of like a really dark uh, character-driven yeah. movie rather than like a horror film. Don't I wouldn't suggest going to see Doctor Sleep expecting like a horror film. And I don't. That's I think true. If you that's true. Watch The Shining as a horror film. Doctor Sleep is probably going to disappoint you because of that. Because it it still takes a lot of like the and now everybody's psychic kind yeah. of stuff. But there's some pretty brutal scenes in there Absolutely. that cause Nick to turn away. It's definitely or look earns, on his phone. It earns its R rating. Yeah, it does. So I. Like we have a we have a shared friend, yeah. a friend that we would say we're both friends with. Yes, that's uh, Sally, pr- previous guest. Yeah, the Queen I of Halloween. I have no idea if she'll like this movie. Sally Murphy, director. I of almost for imagine that she'll uh, hate this movie. I kind of tend to agree because with you. it's a sequel to a film she holds up, yes. you know, to great esteem. We'll need so to, che- I really we'll need don't to know. check in with Sally on this. Absolutely. I think if you like Doctor Sleep the book, and if you like Shining the book, you will like Doctor Sleep the movie. Hmm. Okay. Do you think if, like, there are plenty of people who haven't because it came out in the 70s. Do you think if you haven't seen The Shining, you're going to do okay at Doctor Sleep? 
Yeah, I do think so. Mm-hmm. I do think so. Okay. I think they give you enough to to understand what's going on. I think it works as a standalone. It's certainly better if you know The Shining, mm. but I think it does work. Okay. Uh, I saw two other movies. Would you like to hear about them? Uh, maybe. It depends on the movies. <laughs> <laughs> the first was... We have fun at nights. <laughs> Motherless Brooklyn, uh, yeah. uh, based on the novel by Jonathan Lethem. So this is written and directed by Ed Norton, mm-hmm. and I you thought know, it was excellent. You know how you get Motherless Brooklyns? How? Brooklyn's having Brooklyns. Yeah, yeah. What are you gonna do? Uh, so yes, it stars Ed Norton. Uh, you got Alec Baldwin in there. Willem Dafoe in a great performance. I thought yeah. Willem Dafoe was really excellent in it. And it is, uh, it's about a detective in the fifties um, who has Tourette's, mm-hmm. and he's not really the lead detective. But when when things change, he kind of has to take center mm. stage, and so he has to kind of work through those issues and figure out this plot that his mentor has kind of left behind for him mm-hmm. to figure out. It's a long movie. It's um, a movie that requires patience, I think. You know, if you, you really have to kind of... It's a sit, but I think in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that you would particularly enjoy it. But How I dare you? I love the 50s. I think fans of, of 50s I, and noir really. movies and, and detective stories, I think there's a lot here. A great performance is from Ed Norton. set in the 50s? It okay. is set in the 50s, which is interesting because the novel came out uh, in the 90s and was just oh, set yeah. contemporary. But mm. um, my son interviewed with Ed Norton where he <laughs> felt like... You know, just the, the the style of it really mm-hmm. was kind of a callback to that 50s noir, and so the movie is set there. I think it's better for it. You saw an interview with Ed Norton? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said your son interviewed Ed Norton. I'm like, your five-year-old well, son interviewed Ed Norton? I think he'd do a good job. That'd be very funny. He's like, I thought we should change it to the 50s. Oh, really? Yeah, that's, that is what he would do. <laughs> uh, and then I saw... Terminator Dark Fate. Oh, okay, you can get out of my house. Why? No, you're fine. You can stay. What do I? What do you think I'm going to say? I liked it or didn't like it? I, You're mad because I, I had a good time at Terminator Genesis. Just say it. No, it's fine. Go okay. ahead. Um, say your thing about Terminator. I don't even know which we're talking about. It. Dark Fate. Dark Fate. Okay. You want to know what the real Dark Fate was? What? Three sequels after Terminator 2. <laughs> Two. So I think basically if you never want to watch Terminator 3 or Terminator Salvation mm-hmm. or Terminator Genesis and you just go 1, 2, and Dark Fate, uh-huh. you're fine. Cool. Because it really is, a, is more of a sequel to that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where it... Where it shines and also where it struggles, <gasps> mm-hmm. because, I mean, the big the big thing is it's cool to see Linda Hamilton and Schwarzenegger team up and play those characters again. Mm-hmm. They do it well. Uh, Linda Hamilton plays an excellent, uh, you know, war torn Sarah Connor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's some really great like uh, I don't even know how they did it, but a, a scene set in the '90s where you see the Edward Furlong version of John Connor. You see a young. Linda mm-hmm. Hamilton and young Schwarzenegger done very well. Mm-hmm. The movie though then becomes a little bit too beat for beat Terminator Two, mm-hmm. and it suffers in the comparison. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of action scenes that I think are really unique and make the movie stand out, and it's fun. It's a good time, but it to me really kind of drove home that Terminator just doesn't have anything else to say. Mm-hmm. So for this, the nostalgia of it, mm-hmm. I think it's it, you know it's it's a it's a good watch once. I don't think, I don't think if you're a big fan of Terminator Two and you've been waiting for a payoff, I don't think that this is going to be the thing where right. you're like finally. Yeah. But it is fun. You gonna see it? <sighs> I don't know. Okay. Uh, here are some of the books that I read. I read The Evolution of Claire by Tess Sharp. Uh, here at the David A. Howe Public Library, we're in the midst of Dinovember. Mm-hmm. So Eric and I are reading The Evolution of Claire, which is set. Uh, in between, I messed this up last time, Jurassic Park 3 uh-huh. and Jurassic World. Right. So right in between there. Yeah. I will say for it, um, there's a decent amount of Jurassic Park style action that uh-huh. you want and a lot more 
continuity with the Jurassic Park franchise than I was expecting. Wow. So I do love I, Jurassic Park continuity. You're such a fan. I just don't know if how this is going to sit for you. Maybe you I'll know? love it. Maybe you will. Yeah. I'm curious to find out. Okay. I enjoyed it. Um, I read some graphic novels. I read, uh, thanks to Eric and the Marvel Unlimited app, I read some of the Unstoppable Wasp. <laughs> we teamed up for the force of good this week. Jeremy Whitley's Unstoppable Wasp. I think it suffers from the same fate as uh, as your Amazing Spider-Man franchise, where it's like, just start your story oh, and yeah. stop setting up your story. That's the problem with all these comic book reboots. It's like, yeah. you have to spend six issues to explain why you have this series, then you have six issues to rush to the ending because you got cancelled. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, and then I read the Green Lantern archive, so this is like way retro. Green Lantern number one. And his, Whoa! Uh, yeah, and his uh, tryout in the showcase What title. condition was it in? <laughs> it mint. Oh! Yeah. Um, this was... Uh, you know how you know it's either you you like and can get into retro comics or you can't. Yeah. Uh, and so this was hit and miss. There was Is enough. This like fifties then. Yeah. There was enough. There was enough there to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad to have read it, but it was nothing that was like whoa. Right. So uh, this this is like Green Lantern one, like DC before like the Marvel Silver Age started with like Fantastic Four. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Basically, this is not Alan Scott Green Lantern. This is like right. the proper Hal Jordan right. series beginning, okay. um, but it was just okay. And then I'm currently reading. Love. I can't even remember. I'm reading Cross Current, a Star Wars book for my. Uh, for oh, my yeah. I've always had my eye on that one. Yeah, it's been good so far. Because it's a uh, time travel one. Yeah, it is. And it's the first part of a duology. It's Cross Current and then Riptide mm. uh, by Paul S. Kemp. I'm doing this for my uh, sci-fi book club that I do with some friends. Uh, our previous entry was Starship Trap by Mel Gilden, who we're going to be talking to later today. Goodness. Uh, so that's what I'm reading right now. And then also Little Women for our uh, uh, Christmas book club that we have coming up. Mm-hmm. And Trinity, Volume 1, Better Together. Mm. This is the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman graphic novel in the Rebirth era, and it's fine so far. Uh, boy, that was a lot of me talking, so yeah. spot, spotlights on my man, Eric. All right. What do you got? Uh, I saw Star Trek Dark Fate. It ignores That's... the no. seven not... Star Trek films after the third Star wrong. Trek. Oh, wait, you wrong. know, I just clicked on Goodreads Home, but yeah. you're logged into Goodreads on my oh, computer. Oh, you're right. I'm going to have fun with that after you leave. Yeah. Uh, okay, so... <laughs> Uh, I read Star Wars Darth Vader Dark Lord of the Sith Volume oh, 3 and okay. 4 because mm-hmm. I had apparently read Volumes 1 and 2 a while ago. Well, I knew I read know. Volume 1, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize I had read Volume 2. And I had. And I remember it all now. Mm. But uh, yeah, good stuff. Uh, always sad stuff. Uh, I feel like whenever Vader. I don't know. Vader's stories are always just like. I'm always just struck by like how lonely and sad yeah. and pathetic his life is now. So, very self destructive uh, when you look into the character like that. At one point, he. Anytime he's like dealing with Padme, it's like, you did this yourself, you dummy. Right. Um, I read Tom King's Batman Volume 8, 9, and 10. Uh, 8 was really good. 9 was okay. 10 was stupid. Hmm. Uh, apparently, Batman's stuck in his nightmares right now. In, in volume 10, I didn't realize how we got there. Okay. And also, it's just a lot of Catwoman stuff. I tell you what, if the only way to really be enjoying this Tom King Batman run is to divorce any knowledge you have about Tom King outside of the comics yeah. when he's talking about it. Mm-hmm. Or like even flipping over to the back with like, Tom King's defining Batman run. I'm like, you can't say it during. Yeah. You have to wait. You we need don't... time. So, History and... will decide. Yes. So, anyway, I also read East of West, Volume 1, by Jonathan Hickman. Oh, I don't know. Uh, this volume was The Promise. This is about uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are coming back. It's not what I future. thought you were going to say. Uh, it's a Western. Uh, death was... They tried to kill Death, and now Death is on his own, and uh, 
trying to find his kid because his wife doesn't want to be with him anymore. It's bizarre. Um, it is bizarre. It's a weird book, but I kind of dug it. I got volume two. I also read, oh, I read Star Wars Vader, Dark Visions. This is like six issues of anthology Confusing. stories okay. of, um, this is the one with the cover where Darth Vader's on a horse <laughs> with a shield. Uh. Just these individual stories of like people interacting with Darth Vader. Uh-huh. Varying quality. Some were okay. Others were weird. Um, I also read Paper Girls Volume 6, which ends Paper Girls yeah. forever. Yeah. I read Outer Space and all that junk how by Mel f- Gildan. How, how did you feel about Paper Girls? Uh, I actually was less enthused with this volume than I've been like the whole series. Um, yeah. It was very you, chatty. Would you, it was. Would you recommend the series? Yeah. That's where I struggle. I would oh, still would. recommend okay. Paper Girls. All right. um, and maybe they would benefit from being able to just binge it. Oh, absolutely. But I, I definitely thought for like the end, it was way more chatty than it had to be. Mm-hmm. Um and I also read Star Wars Clone Wars Volume 6 on the fields of battle. I read the first five volumes of this back in Florida. So oh. like back in like 2014. Years ago. Okay. And I'm back again. You're on a Star Wars kick. Maybe. Is this your road to Rise of Skywalker? Maybe. Okay. We'll see. Yeah, we will. Uh, maybe I'm enjoying Star Wars right now because I deleted Twitter off my phone. Oh. So, <laughs> you, you, like Tom King, divorce yourself of all Star yeah. Wars, anybody else, and mm-hmm. you're okay. Yeah. And that's it. I saw Doctor Sleep. So Doctor Sleep, we discussed it oh. at the top of the show. Okay. You're probably foggy on it because it's nights. Yeah, I got Disney Plus, so I've watched sure. some Mandalorian. Oh, and uh, it's fine. There's my wife is liking it more than I am, even okay. though I still I like it, but there, it's hard for me to shake this like the Disneyness of mm-hmm. it. Uh, there's some like cute elements that I'm like, this has to be the Disney, mm-hmm. the Disney hand in it all. So. That's it. Okay. I haven't seen anything new and fun. All right. Excited. I've been uh, I've been rewatching Star Trek Discovery with my wife's sister and her husband because they'd never seen it. Mm-hmm. So it's been kind of fun to rediscover. Some that. people refer to them as sister in law. Yeah, true. Yeah. And uh, and and the Star Trek uh, short treks have been coming out monthly. So th- those have been a lot of fun. Okay. They do like a little 10, 15 minute episode each month, uh, like leading okay. up to the new season, and they've been really cool. The last one not so great, but um. Hmm. But yeah, that has, that's been fun. And I'm digging Batwoman on the CW. Oh, yeah. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. How are we doing on time? You want to do New York right. Times bestseller yeah. list? All right. Book news. All right. Book news. New York Times bestsellers list for hardcover fiction. Uh, number 10, Olive Again yeah. by Elizabeth what Strout. What a name In that a follow-up is. to the Pulitzer Prize winning Olive, Oliver, Olive Kittredge. New relationships, including a second marriage, are encountered in a seaside town in Maine. Spoiler alert if you haven't read Olive Kittredge. My wife did and loved it. And I was like, hey, there's a sequel. And she was like, I don't... Mm. She's not really interested. Didn't really mm. think it was a book that required a sequel. So You know what? Let's just skip ahead for a second. I oh, can okay. tell you that the Revenant, or whatever... Not the Revenant. What's it called? The Testaments. The sequel to Handmaid's Tale. It's oh, not here anymore. Shocker. So, weird. Yeah. Uh, what was the other sequel that we were talking about? Oh, the Find Me. Also not here. Hmm. Look, maybe making a sequel 40 years after your book came out isn't the best option yeah, anymore. Maybe not. Uh, maybe To Kill a Mockingbird to killed that yeah. trend a bird. Yeah. Number nine, The Dutch House by Anne Patchett. A sibling relationship is impacted when the family goes from poverty to wealth and then back again. Oh, you hate to hear over that. the course of many decades. I hate to hear that. You can now watch The Dutch House on ABC. Yeah. The Connors. No, you can't. The Connors. I don't get it. Because they were poor, but then they won the lottery, and now they're poor poor again. again. You're right. Uh, Why did I watch Roseanne as a kid? I did too, and I don't... Was that... Why did we do that? I don't know. I look back on that, I'm like, why would... I should not... I can't tell you. Number eight, The Institute by Stephen King. 
Children with special talents are abducted and sequestered in an institution where the sinister staff seeks to extract their gifts through harsh methods. This has been here longer than I feel like it should be. Even a, even only nine weeks. It's still mm -hmm. longer than I think. Are we getting into the Christmas bump? I don't know. Oh, you think? Maybe. We'll see. Uh, number seven. New this week. The family upstairs. Uh, Lisa Jewell. Libby Jones learns to identify... Oh, no, wait. Uh, Libby Jones learns to identify... You said the same thing. Oh, my thing. gosh. Libby Jones learns the identity, the identity yes. of her parents and inherits a London mansion. Ooh. But this comes with a mystery of multiple murders. Uh-oh. Uh, the Giver of Stars is at number six. This is Jojo Moyes. In Depression-era America, five women refuse to be cowed by men or convention as they deliver books throughout the mountains of Kentucky. I actually never knew Kentucky was mountainy. Hmm. This is the first... I guess I always thought it was very plain. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we drove through it a lot when I was a kid. It, yeah. Oh. I, I remember the All right. you know, rock face and things. Uh, number five, The Night Fire by Michael Connolly. Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard return to take up the case that held their attention to Bosch's mentor. Ooh. That mentor? Qui-Gon Jinn. Really? Yes. Wow. Star Wars fame. Huh. Uh, number four, Where the Crawdads Sing. Delia Owens in a yes. quiet town of North Carolina. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. If you don't know what this book's about, you don't get to hear it now. Okay. Yeah. A woman in a marsh is a oh, murder. darn it. <laughs> Number three, new this week, The Starless Sea uh, by Erin Morgenstern. Oh. So, now I haven't read this, but I was a big fan of her uh, Her first, I think it was her first book, uh, Night Circus. Mm. That was, are you, you familiar with Night Circus? I feel like you might enjoy that. Maybe. Okay. It's, it's always, it's a romance. I guess. It's always labeled in romance. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. I don't I mean, it's about like, like different factions of magicians. So oh. I guess there is kind of a Romeo Juliet Thing there, but oh, I wouldn't okay. really say that the romance is the driving okay. force behind that book. Hmm. You know what is? That's why I'm on the fence about those stickers, you know? Because yeah. sometimes it gets that label and you're never right. going to read it. I don't Are know. there any steamy uh, love scenes? I don't think so. Oh, well. Yeah. You called your book The Night Circus? And yeah. It's Romeo and Juliet? Yeah. You don't have any steamy love scenes I, in that? Well, maybe I'm wrong. It's been a while. Oh, okay. Uh, Zachary Ezra Rollins fights to save a labyrinth... What? A labyrinthine underground La respiratory of stories. Okay. Labyrinth... Say that with me. Labyrinthine? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Underground respiratory of stories. Repository. <laughs> what I say? Respiratory. Respiratory. What's a respiratory? Like, if you have like a respiratory virus. Oh, yeah. No, I this is a repository. Have, yep. Yeah. Uh, number two, The Guardians by John Grisham. Mm -hmm. Colin Post, a lawyer and Episcopal minister, antagonizes some ruthless killers when he takes a wrongfully con uh, wrongful conviction case. And I think, listen, I think we're going to be seeing this one for a while because that's absolutely a dad Christmas yeah. gift. Yeah. I mean, I'm a dad. If somebody wants to buy it for me, that's fine. I'll, I'll right. take it. I'll read it. But uh, I think we're going to be seeing that one. Number one, Blue Moon by Lee Child. Jack Reacher gets caught up in a turf war between Ukrainian and Albanian gangs. I was just listening to... Um, Stay in your lane, Jack Reacher. I was just listening... Stay in your lane. ...to Western Stars by Bruce Springsteen earlier today. Oh, yeah. And there's a song on there called Hitchhiking, and the guy's just like, only carry, only have what I can carry or something. I'm like, this song's about Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher, toothbrush and underwear. Yeah. That's all you need. Um... You know it's not here, hmm. which uh, I meant because I uh, I haven't read it, so I can't do my bookmark on it yet. Okay. I put a hold on it today. Uh, this weird Michael Crichton book, yes, that has come out. Yeah, so I don't know if you, if if you follow us on Twitter, we were having like a whole Twitter conversation about this because I was in a bookstore uh -huh. and there on the shelf is the Andromeda. What's it called? The Andromeda, Andromeda Evolution. Andromeda Evolution. Uh, with Michael Crichton in big letters, and yeah. I'm like, "What the heck? What is? Where has yeah. Sherry Crichton dug this up?" Yeah, but no, it's who's the, who's the author? This of is this? by Daniel Wilson. 
who wrote who wrote uh, Robo Apocalypse. Yeah, and uh, a Clockwork book. I can't. remember. And we the were name. very puzzled by this because first it completely snuck by us, and yes. it's because it came out of nowhere. on our standing orders uh-huh. it only lists Daniel Wilson, and I was like, uh, oh, okay, you know, I didn't re- recognize right. any connection to Michael Crichton, um, but there has been almost <laughs> no talk about this. Yeah. I haven't heard anything. No. So I was, I was, you know what? I was flabbergasted <laughs> yeah. when I saw this. Michael Crichton surprising us nine years after his death. I guess so. Not even. No, eleven years. Wow. So here's what's puzzling to me, and we talked about this a little bit off mic, but Andromeda Strain. Yeah, you're gonna so do a strange. sequel to a book, Andromeda Strain. Yep. That's bizarre. It's so yeah. Unlike uh, Pirates Latitude or Long, uh, <laughs> Pirates Latitude or Dragon Teeth. This isn't or like micro. or Micro. This isn't. Uh, you know, a, an unfinished novel that was dug up and then somebody helped yeah. uh, complete it. This is just, it, it's that uh, that Tom Clancy. Yeah, Tom Clancy, William Johnstone, Robert guy, B. Parker. Yeah. It's just like this character's world, this this author's world yeah. now being written by this person. Yeah. It's kind of just the brand now. Yeah. It's become a brand. Michael Crichton is now, yeah, he's he's joining that wealth of authors. It's taken him a while. I don't understand. I mean, the Andromeda Strain has been adapted multiple times into other things. Mm-hmm. The book is a little bit of an oddity because yeah. it's, it's the first that's actually... Uh, and please go back and listen to our many Michael Crichton episodes. Mm-hmm. But it's an oddity in that it's the first book that he's written as Michael Crichton. Mm-hmm. It's very science heavy. Yeah. That book is like 40% graphs. Yeah. The the book is so like not action-packed that the person who directed the movie was the cinematographer of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Yeah. So like the set design, or maybe the set designer, I can't remember. He's related. Basically, the set designs are almost similar, like yeah. the white sterile walls in the in both movies. Yeah. So like that's the kind of movie, that's the kind of book Andromeda Strain was. It's just yeah, it's bizarre to it's turn that one puzzling. into a sequel. It's very puzzling. Um, I'm gonna read it. Daniel Wilson's Robo. Well, I think we're obligated to do an episode <laughs> about it. Frankly, um, when I when I read uh, Daniel Wilson's Robo Apocalypse, I was actually like, I think my Goodreads review even says like, it it read like uh, Michael Crichton's like later work, something more akin to like Prey or something. Well, like I, it was a very Michael. He had a Michael Crichton way of telling that story, and so. It seems like a good fit. I'm He's st- on the record as a major Crichton fan, yeah. like aficionado, growing okay. up reading Michael Crichton. Yeah, yeah. Well, I could see that when you know reading his book. So, but it's just very bizarre that it's happening. And now I guess we have Congo two to look forward to. Yes, <laughs> Sphere yeah. two. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. if you haven't, Cube, Cube, Cube yeah. Cube. If you haven't on my Twitter page oh, and Dust versus Tweak, yep. I came up with a sequel for every single one of Michael Crichton's book, you and did. I gotta tell you what, there's some real winners in there. You thought any, they were very funny. Any, any, any favorites? There, some of them are deep thinkers. No, not a Congo one. two was speak no evil because the gorillas speak in sign language, that, but also the monkey thing, see no evil, speak. The no problem evil. is you're, you're. It's such a <laughs> narrow crowd. Yeah, that you're playing <laughs> I know. So, I'm, tr- I'm playing on the crowd of uh, big Michael Crichton aficionados. I, yes. who are also like, oh, that's funny because it references that part of the I book. I very much appreciate your dedication to Thank detail you. on yeah. that one. All right, uh, is that going to do it for book news? Uh, yeah, I guess until we read the book. That's right. Okay, well then let's get to our author spotlight. Author Spotlight. 
Today, Eric and I had the pleasure of sitting down and chatting with author Mel Gilden. So, Do you think our authors who we spotlight and then they listen to this episode are as freaked out by that theme as I am? It's really left an impression on you. <laughs> I, li- I like it. I think, okay. it's, I think it's a fun thing. Well, theme. I think it was the end credits of uh, Dr. Sleep. I like <laughs> I like to think that Mel Gilden enjoyed that author spotlight okay. theme. Anyway, um, this is an author that I've been familiar with for a lot of my life because um, I grew up loving the show Beverly Hills 90210. Yeah, you long, don't say. Long before I should have watched this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, like Roseanne. Yeah, exactly. And I had a oh, stack. Yeah. I had a stack of 90210 novelizations written by Mel Were Gilden. Were you watching 90210 like contemporary like season 1? Not season 1. No, okay. probably probably more like season 2 or 3. And that's keep, 92. Yeah. And in 92 you're how old? 8? 9. You're yeah. watching 90210 I, at 9. I can't. I, yes. Yes, this this <laughs> is what happened. I know, this is what happened. So, um, uh, Kendra, a regular uh, guest mm. here on the podcast, Kendra and I have been doing a 90210 rewatch yeah. uh, uh, spotlight, and we've been going through it. I've been reading, uh, rereading these novelizations <laughs> as we get to the episode. As, so. as her husband, I would like to offer up my apologies to you yeah. for her not understanding the Goodnight John Boy reference. Oh, yes. Yes, she did. <laughs> she said that on the podcast. I was like, oh, dear. But that's a different podcast. Yeah. If you're interested in 90210, you can pop over to 902 and Here We Go, where uh-huh. Kendra and I discuss the show uh, and <laughs> chat with Mel a little bit about uh, writing the novelizations. Right. But anyway, uh, cut to later in life when I picked up his Star Trek books. Yeah. Uh, the first of those I read, <laughs> one we're going to talk about in the interview, is Boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I read all of his Star Trek books, several of the 90210 books, and you've read some of his juvenile books. Uh-huh. Uh, so we reached out, and uh, he was he was pleased to talk to us. And so uh, here it is. Let's get into our interview with Mel Gilden. Well, let's just start at the very beginning. Why don't you tell us what the very first thing you sold that made it so you were a paid professional writer? Oh, the very first thing I sold? Well, I was at uh, Clarion in 1960. Do you know what Clarion is? No. It's, it's, a, it's a science fiction writer's workshop that was in Clarion, Pennsylvania. And we had wonderful teachers. We, we had uh, Joanna Russ and Harlan Ellison and, and Fritz Leiber and just all kinds of great folks. And that's where I sold my first story. I sold uh, a, a story called What About Us Grills, which was uh, a very short story that I got an idea from in a, in a bathroom. Really? I, 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 yeah, it was a public bathroom. And... Um, it, it had three lines of dialogue. It said, um, I like girls. And the other one said, I like boys. And the third one said, what about us grills? Anyway, it all made sense at the time. <laughs> it all made sense at the time. Anyway, that was my first professional sale. I made $50. And where did that go? Was that, was that published in a magazine or journal? It was published in the first Clarion Anthology. Oh, I see. I see. Which still exists. I mean, you could you could probably go on Amazon and buy a, a used copy. So, so was your background before that like was sci-fi your your main area of interest? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Sci- I've always been a sci-fi guy. You you got to realize that by the time by the time I got into going to Clarion, I see it was nineteen seventy. So I was what in my in my early thirties or late twenties. Okay. I had been watching television. In the, in the mid-1950s. So I was watching Space Patrol and Tom Corbett Space Cadet 
and uh, Captain Video. And these were the shows that formed me. They made me what I am today. What, what about I, those? I mean, what about those captured your imagination so much? I don't know. I don't know. All, <laughs> okay. I, all, I, all I know is that, that they just grabbed me by the throat and would not let go. You know, there were some guy, there were some guys said, "Oh, I only watch westerns, mm-hmm. or I only watch detective stories, or I only watch sports." I don't talk to them much. Sports guys. <laughs> Good call. I don't Good talk call. to them. Yeah. I don't talk to them. But I know that when I was watching these science fiction programs on early early television, they they grabbed me and they would not let go. And by the time Star Trek came along, I had been a science fiction fan for many many years, mm-hmm. and I had read lots and lots of books. Um, I was really lucky the, the the library that we used to go to mom would take us to the library every Saturday and there was this big wall and it was all science fiction nice. and I must, I read everything were you reading those science fiction books as a kid then? Uh, which, oh yeah, absolutely right. so so which, uh, which books or authors were really striking a chord for you or inspiring you? Because I know in your book, um, Outer Space and All That Junk you mention uh, have spacesuit will travel oh yes yes well i've always been a big heinlein fan and sure. uh, the, the 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 scribner's juveniles the, you know the stuff that he wrote uh into the 50s and early 60s mm-hmm. i read all of them okay and um they are some of the few you know one uh, most of the books that i read uh, that i purchased uh i had paperbacks but occasionally i would have a book that i loved so much that even though i already had a paperback i bought hardback books and that's what <laughs> happened with the heinlein juveniles okay i just bought them all right i i bought them all has basic will travel yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so you mentioned you mentioned star trek as as one of the things that, that you were a fan of how is it that you got in the orbit of star trek uh for, for writing your star trek novels you know that's a really good question <laughs> I, I do know this. I do know this. Um, I think that a couple of the... I had a lot of friends who had been writing Star Trek novels. Okay. And um, I had been a professional writer by that time because I know that they would not look at my stuff if I hadn't been a pro. Okay. So I just... Um, and I knew that I was going to be in New York City for something else. I had an agent in New York, and I was selling books that were not Star Trek novels. Okay. And so, and I just uh, I wrote a letter. I sent a phone call to. Uh, this is long before the internet, you know. Sure. <laughs> and um, I, I called the guy who was the editor at the time, and I said, "Can I come and talk to you? I want to pitch you an idea for a Star Trek novel." And he had heard of me. And I think that that was what let me into the office, is the fact that he had heard of me and perhaps even read some of my stuff. Okay. And uh, so when I went into his office and I said, well, what about this? And I had like a paragraph. Mm-hmm. And he said, that's great. Go do it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so that worked out pretty well. So was that, so was up, that the Starship I, Trap? Was that your first? No. I, the Starship Trap, I think I wrote second. The okay. first one that I wrote was Boogeyman. Oh, sure. Yeah. Which was a TNG. Mm-hmm. Uh, a next generation novel, and I was really interested in writing something where Wesley was a really good character. <laughs> well, that, I, that would I have been a nice thought, change. <laughs> well, you know, I always, I always thought that Will Wheaton had gotten a, a raw deal. Yeah, that's hmm. fair. Uh, uh, he agrees. That, you know, because I have seen him uh, later on other shows, not Star Trek shows, but doing other things, mm-hmm. and he was always a, a terrifically um, professional guy. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and I always thought he was really good. And the fact that he was on this show and he was always doing things that, that a kid that age shouldn't do, no matter how smart he was. Right. Mm-hmm. and driving Picard crazy, <laughs> you know? And so I decided that I was just going to write one where he was he was a better character than mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think I did a good job. That know? was so the first know. that I'd read of yours, uh, Boogeyman, uh, quite a while back. Yeah, but yeah. Boogeyman yeah, was it. the first one. And then after that, I wrote I wrote uh, The Starship Trap. Did you have a preference for like what era you were writing in, or were, were these assignments, or how did oh, that... Oh, I've always been a, a, a Trek classic guy. Okay. You know, if it's got Kirk, Spock, and McCoy in it, I'm I'm right there. Agreed. Those are my guys. Uh-huh. Those are my guys. And um, I kind of got to like the Next Generation people after a while, mm-hmm. and I, I I like them well enough. And I say, yeah, I like those guys, and I want to see this new show Picard. Yeah. And and it all looks it all looks really good, but when it comes down to where my emotional heart lies, I think it's just with the old guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and, and those are my guys. And you also did a couple of Deep Space Nine books for the younger readers. How did that happen? Uh, I did two Deep Space Nine books. Um, one of them I did with a friend of mine. He had an idea, and he was a pretty good writer. He had been writing cartoons for a long time. Okay. But he didn't feel that he could actually write a Star Trek novel by himself. So he and I wrote one together. And then I wrote one on my own, which was called Cardassian Imps. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing about the, the DS9 novels is they were all kids' books. Right. I don't think they ever did any adult books for Deep Space Nine. I think they did eventually, but I think these are the ones that started it. <laughs> so I wrote Cardassian Imps, and I was pretty pleased with that. I, I think it turned out all right. Yeah, yeah, those are fun. Yeah. I mean, that's that's nice yeah. because Deep Space Nine had children in 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 the lead, so you could actually do that that <laughs> sort of thing. You know, that's what I did. You know, with the the, the the children who were in the lead become the heroes of the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that worked out pretty well. That worked out fine. You tend to write towards the younger audience whether it be the juvenile uh, age or maybe the young adult age what, what particular challenges did that have when either if you're writing something that's an adaptation like star trek or you're writing your own work like outer space and all that junk challenges challenges you know it's a funny thing about that i just kind of write the book that i would want to read mm-hmm. so um you know there are a lot more challenges now uh, because you have to say, when you send it away to somebody, you have to say, is it a middle grade? Is right. it a young adult? Right. And you have to tell them going in. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to do that. You know, I'd send it to my agent and she'd say, oh, this is this is good. And then she'd send it to somebody and they would buy it. Right. And there was, there was to my knowledge, nobody ever asked me, is this a middle grade or a YA? Right. Mm-hmm. That, that was only something that came later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is a difference, and there was a difference even back then. But they knew what it was when they read it. Right. You know, they didn't have. I didn't have to tell them. They they could figure it out for themselves. Right. Um, when I started out writing kids' books, and I said, "Oh, this is for children. Mm-hmm. This is this is for children." Uh, then my hero was Daniel Pinkwater. Daniel Pinkwater has been writing kids' books now for. Uh, well, he's four or five years older than I am, so he's been doing it for a long, long time. But I was on Hour 25, which was a science fiction radio program. We were on from 10 to midnight every Friday, and judging by what I heard on uh, a sample of your program, it was very much like your program. Oh. There was me and this other guy, Mike Hodell, 
who'd been doing it at that point for, I don't know, 20, 25 years. He mm. was one of the founders. And I was only there because uh, the original co-host uh, went off to do something else and he said, would you like to do it? He said this to me and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come and do that. Anyway, um, people used to send me stuff. Sometimes it was a bit of news and sometimes it was a joke or whatever it was. And a young lady who was a fan of the show sent me a copy of a book by Daniel Pinkwater called The Stockout Boys and the Avocado of Death. <laughs> okay, that was the title. That's a great title. It's a great title, and all his books have a great title. Uh, another one of his books is uh, Lizard Music, and another <laughs> just wonderful thing, Fat Men from Space, just wonderful, <laughs> wonderful stuff. And if you haven't read him and you want to and you want to laugh yourself silly, get a Daniel Pinkwater novel because he's a funny, funny guy and a terrific writer. Anyway, um, I read The Snarkout Boys and the Ad Oak, Avocado of Death, and I was just once again, grabbed by the throat and would not let go. And I read all his pink water stuff. So when I, I, I sat down to write uh, The Return of Captain Conquer, I did my best to make it look like a Daniel Pinkwater novel. Oh, okay. You know, that was that was my interest. And I go back and I look at it occasionally saying, well, you know, this is pretty close. This is all right. It's, it's not as good as Mr. Pinkwater's stuff, but it's okay. Anyway, that, that's... Uh, that's how I got into it is because that girl sent me a copy of the Snarkot Boys. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm. You know, I'm always curious yeah. when, uh, you know, we, you're, you, have, you have such a prolific background. I mean, you, you've done so many different things. Uh, a lot of original works, a lot of, of original works working within established universes like Star Trek or, or other uh -huh. things like that. How does that, as a writer, like how do you approach those things? Is, is there, I mean, is there something sort of relaxing about writing within uh, an established universe or, or do you prefer... Um, just going off and doing your own thing? Like, uh, how do you approach those two? Well, I think it, it depends on what I did the last time. Okay. You know, if I was in somebody else's universe last time, then I'm going to want to do something original. And if I started with something original, then I'm going to want to go to somebody else's universe. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing about Star Trek is that I love Star Trek. Sure. You know, I really am a Trekkie. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> I, I really am a Trekkie. So if I have an opportunity to write a Star Trek novel, I love doing it because I, I don't know if you've ever, if you if you read the Starship crap. Yeah, I did. Yeah. But Okay. But I hope that it looked to you like the dialogue, for instance, was actual. These are things that the characters on the TV show would yeah. have said. You know, I did my best to uh, to make it look like a, a version of a TV show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I had fun doing that. You know, McCoy and <laughs> Spock sniping at each other and, and Captain Kirk saying, well, I, I want to talk to this woman, but I, I can't do it. <laughs> and then there, we, there, there was a dinner party, I believe, and, and I enjoyed writing that because this allowed me to have the characters talk like themselves without having to worry about whether the warp engines were working or right, not. Right. You know, and um, so when it comes to Star Trek, you know, I would mm -hmm. do it again. If somebody wants to hire me to write another Star Trek novel, <laughs> You're in. I, I, I would do it again. But what happens is, and this has happened to me a couple of times, is that I get hired to write a particular kind of book. And I say, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I can do that. And then when it comes time to write another one, the person who hired me, usually a woman, the, the woman who hired me has quit her job. And the lady who is now running that part of the, uh, the publication, they don't know me. 
Right. They don't know me. They don't know who I am. I say, gee, I'd really like to do another one of those. And they'll say, well, we'll call you. Did they, mm-hmm. did they call you? And you say, <laughs> no. Well, they didn't call me either. You know, and that happened, that happened more than once. Almost everybody that I dealt with in the 70s and 80s, by the time the 90s <laughs> came along, and I was still working, and that made things a lot more difficult. Just, just the, the turnover in, in employees. Turnover at the publishing house, mm-hmm, yeah, right. you know, and that made th- that made things very difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. You um, know, and I w- and I would go in there and I'd say, "Well, I wrote this and I wrote that and I wrote the <laughs> other thing," and they'd say, "Okay, fine," but they had a they had their own list of people that they liked, you know, and those were the people that they were hiring. Yeah, sometimes I would get lucky, but more often than not, they would hire their own people. Mm-hmm. You, you were talking so about how when you were writing the original Star Trek characters like Kirk and Spock. You were trying yeah. to emulate the show, but yeah. uh, at the time you would have been writing the next gen books in Deep Space Nine. The, those characters wouldn't have been so like well known or uh, cemented in the public conscious. Was it harder to write those characters then, without uh, a oh, few decades no. of? No, the... I, I had a good time with them because by the time I got to them, I'd been watching, I'd been watching a couple of seasons. Okay. Of them, you know, they, they were not brand new at that point. They were three, four seasons in. Mm-hmm. And so I knew them almost as well as you knew, uh, you know, the Kirk Spock McCoy okay. triumvirate. And um, if you go back and read, for instance, if you go back and read Cardassian Imps, there's a scene in which Odo and Quark are having an argument. Mm-hmm. And I go back and I read that occasionally and I say, you know, that's just what those guys talk like. Mm-hmm. That's what they would be saying to each other. And nobody that I know has ever said that I was wrong. Maybe they're <laughs> just being polite. I don't know. But it seems to me that, that I did just as well with them as I did with the original trio. But that's just me. You know, I can't tell. <laughs> I can't tell. But I will say this. I will say this. And I've been very lucky in this respect. And that is I go back and I read books that I wrote maybe five or six years ago, and I'm I'm always surprised at how good they are. <laughs> am, am I am I allowed to say that? We'll yeah, allow sure. it. Yeah, we'll allow it. Am I allowed to say that? Sure. Because you know, because if they weren't, I like to be very honest. Because <laughs> none of none of my books are first draft. Everything everything is a second or a third or a fourth mm-hmm. draft. Thank God for the computer. <laughs> Well, looking looking back into your back catalog, I mean, there's you you have you have a, a quite a list on your website, and I think there's more even beyond that. Is yeah. there is there do you have a, some particular favorites? Is there a series or a specific title? If somebody now listening to this podcast wanted to go and sort of dive into the Mel Gildan archives and and rediscover one of those books, what would you like them to find? Well, I wrote a whole s- series of books called Fifth Grade Monsters. Mm-hmm. And I must have written, oh, a dozen of those. And they were about uh, a real little normal kid and his friends, one of whom was kind of a Frankenstein monster and one of whom was a werewolf and one of whom was, let's see, I had somebody else. <laughs> anyway, they were, all di- they were all different classic monsters. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really, I really got into it. The first one was hard to write. Because I said, oh, what am I going to say about these guys? I don't know what to say about them. (laughs) But by the time I got to the second or third book, um, I was more comfortable with them as characters. And I had written down, uh, oh, three or four or five or six different ideas, just, you know, a line or two. And that gave me uh, an opening into what I should write next. And um, 
It was it was great. It was wonderful fun. And I know that some of them are better than others. Mm -hmm. But I also know that even the bad ones aren't too bad. <laughs> you All know? right. And and it's uh, the, the, this series is called the Fifth Grade Monsters, and uh, I'm just I've gotten fan mail from people who are uh, you know in their in their forties or fifties, and and they find my my email address online, mm -hmm. and and they write to me and they say, oh, I really love that book. Did you write any more? Mm -hmm. You know, and I and I said, well, no, <laughs> I don't own the rights to that. Oh, so so I think that's pretty good. Now, if you're looking for something a little more adult, you could try Surfing Samurai Robots. <laughs> Great title. <laughs> yeah, now Surfing Samurai Robots is the first book of three. Okay, and um, but it was written by. Uh, I was hired by a guy named Byron Price. P-R-E-I-S-S. -S. And Byron Price, I call him the Walt Disney of publishing because he was strictly a packager. He would have an idea or he would purchase a piece of cover art and then he would think of who will do the best job for me oh. on this particular idea. And so he hired me. He was the one that hired me for the fifth grade monsters. Okay. He was the one that hired me for um, Surfing Samurai Robots. As a matter of fact, Surfing Samurai Robots, he sent me a copy of the cover and he said, here, write me a book. <laughs> and that was, that was kind of interesting. That was kind of interesting. So I was pretty pleased about that. And then, this is not a joke, Byron was on his way to synagogue one Saturday morning and he got run over by a bus. Wow. That's not a joke. That's true. It's very sad. Yeah. Not only because I liked Byron, but because as long as he lived, he always kept me busy and he always <laughs> kept me working and I always made money. And as soon as he was gone, the money ran out. <laughs> what a shock that must have been. It was a shocker. Yeah, it was a real shocker. It was too bad because I liked Byron. He was really <laughs> a very nice fellow. And he's the, oh, as far as I can tell, because I've been looking for somebody else who does that same kind of work, mm -hmm. who's a packager, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I cannot find anybody who does that same work. Huh. So, you know, I, I was I was a big fan of Byron's, own, not only because I liked him, but because he was this Walt Disney kind of guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't do the actual writing himself or the actual painting sure. himself. Uh -huh. but, he, but he always knew who to hire to do the best job with the idea. Well, that's interesting. And, and so Surfing Samurai Robots is a uh, kind of a fantasy Raymond Chandler kind of novel. Which is kind of because I was I'm a big Chandler fan. Okay. So it's about this alien who comes to Earth to be a detective. Okay. And and so that's what the what the book, what the book is about. He solves he solves crimes here on Earth, and um, he lives in a house with a bunch of surfers down at Malibu, and that's what it is. And then there were two more books, and they both featured the same detective, and I I thought that they turned out pretty well. Hmm. Well, yeah. nice. Thanks for talking to us this afternoon. If um, if people want to find out a little bit more about your work, where's the best place to find you online? Well, you know, www.melgilden.com. So that's, that's really the best place. Okay. Uh, a lot of these books are available from Wildside Press. Uh, I have uh, three or four books, some of which... Um, no, they're all actually kids' books. They're okay. all actually, and when I say kid, I don't I don't mean small children. I mean either um, um, middle grade or YA. Mm -hmm. So we're so we're talking about you know junior high and above. Right. 
So that's what I think of it as, as kids' books. But I'm, I'm pretty pleased. And you just go go to Wildside Press and look up my name, and you'll see a whole list of books that are available. Okay. We'll, we'll yeah. share the link on our page as well so people can find it that way too. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Mel for, for the time. Uh, the the books that he mentioned, you can find at Wildside Press. Mm-hmm. Uh, available ebooks, print books, you, you can find them there at Wildside Press. The website, again, melgilden.com. Mm-hmm. So I hope you check that out. A lot of interesting information uh, about things we didn't even get into, yeah. including uh, his background as a television writer and many other things on there. The website, again, and if you want to contact him, you can find that at melgilden.com. So mm-hmm. thanks once again to Mel. Hope you hope you go and check out some of his newer fiction and- uh, that he mentioned in the episode and i don't think he listens to this so i'll have to extend my thanks will wheaton would also like to thank uh mel gilden for trying to yeah for saying such nice things about the character trying to rehabilitate uh, the <laughs> yeah. wesley crusher character yes yeah that's uh, it's a noble work yeah. that, i've been uh, doing that at work though because i have that sweater that everybody says it's is my wesley, wesley crusher, crusher sweater, sweater. Very Absolutely. 80s, yeah and i've been just trying to do my do the best of my job Absolutely. i come to work i'm like uh nick nick and you just yell shut up eric yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, we have some of Mel Gilden's books in our collection, too, both the juvenile mm-hmm. books, the Star Trek books. Uh, and any that we don't have, we can certainly connect you uh, with them. So please uh, uh, drop us a line on Twitter at All the Books Show, and we'll, we'll share the links to that on the Twitter as well. Um, let's talk library news. We're coming up on the end of the year. We're, we're, uh, we're getting down to the wire. So book clubs, uh, we're, we're doing... Um, Little Women, as I mentioned. That's mm-hmm. December 3rd. We're going to be discussing that. Little That's Women, Big of, Talk. I always associate that as a Christmas book because there's so many Christmassy scenes in there it. There are. Are there like three? Yeah, there are yeah. several. So we're going to be talking about that in early December. That way, if you're not ready to be reading Christmas books, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, an easy way into that. Do you think you could maybe get Kirsten Dunst for an interview? I I couldn't keep it together. She was my childhood crush. Uh, I can't okay. talk to Kristen. Renona Ryder then? I can't. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I could okay. do that. Apologies to Renona Ryder. I could do that. No, no, no. I mean, I. Christian you know. Bale. Pass. What? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we're we're talking cool. we're talking Little Women on December third, and then we're going to be doing uh, one of the Royal Spinest, the Christmas books. I can't remember uh, yeah. what it's called, mm-hmm. but it's by Reese Bowen, and we're going to be doing that as our Christmas mystery book club. Mm-hmm. So take a look at that. We've got the Nutcracker coming back underneath the mystery toe. Maybe. Our, and we've committed to doing our Christmas book club with uh, Bo Hutchings. No. So I you, am being held. Yeah, you're, uh, you, you're, you feel it's an obligation. You're fulfilling your professional duty. A hostage situation. Yeah, that's, that's there fair. We go. I'll cop to that. We're going to be doing that. Bo's going to be back for the Nutcracker, so you can catch that. This is our uh, our sixth production of the Nutcracker. Mm-hmm. Uh, lot, lots in store for this one, so I hope you can join us for that. And of our ecumenical choirs back. You've got Teen Night. Mm-hmm. We've got Christmas movies We're coming out. We're uh, showing Dora the Ex- Dora in the Lost City of Gold. Mm-hmm. I don't know the new Dora live action Dora yeah. the Explorer. And this movie. is a Tomb Raider prequel. Is that correct? I guess <laughs> uh, it got a lot of good reviews. So I don't know. We're showing that uh, December sixth at four thirty. Uh, yeah, I have no idea what to expect. It's you know. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this week's episode of the All the Book Show. Our thanks again to Mel Gilden. And the website is melgilden.com. The books are available from Wildside Press. I hope you check those out. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.